This is Clearstead's Investment Forum, where we hold quarterly discussions with allocators, managers, and other industry leaders on current investment trends and topics. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The ideas and opinions expressed on this show by its host and its guest speakers do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Clearstead Advisors, LLC, or its subsidiaries and affiliates, and do not constitute legal, tax, or investment advice, or a recommendation of any particular security or strategy. Any information prepared from third-party sources is believed to be reliable, though its accuracy is not guaranteed. Opinions expressed on this commentary reflect subjective judgments of the speakers based on conditions at the time of recording and are subject to change without notice. This education content is intended to inform and educate listeners about topics discussed and is not intended as investment, tax, or legal advice for any specific individual or specific situation. Listeners should seek the input of their own financial tax and legal professionals before acting on any of the information provided. Thank you in advance for listening, and we hope that you enjoy the discussion. All right. Um, so, hello, I'm Svetlana Loshakov, and in today's episode, No Longer an Alternative, we are very fortunate to have Stuart Cole, co-CEO of the Riverside Company with us, to discuss the evolution of private equity and current industry trends. Um, the Riverside Company is a global private equity firm focused on investing in growing businesses valued up to 400 million. Since its founding in 1988, Riverside has made more than 650 investments. The firm's international portfolio includes more than 110 companies. Together with Bella Zigethi, Stuart Cole oversees all aspects of Riverside activities. He has more than 30 years of private equity investing experience. Prior to Riverside, he was vice president of Citicorp Venture Capital, the private equity arm of Citibank. In addition to his work with Riverside, he serves on the boards of trustees of Oberlin College, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Cleveland and the Cleveland Clinic. Mr. Cole holds a bachelor's of art degree from Oberlin College. Stuart, it's a great pleasure to welcome you on our podcast today. And to begin, um, let's talk about private equity and what does it bring to the table? Why investors should consider it and have it in its portfolio? Well, thank you, Svetlana, and, and thanks for this opportunity to speak with you and, uh, and through you with your clients. I've really been looking forward to our visit. You know, I, I think it's really about the returns. Private equity has a uh, outstanding history of returns, whether you measure it over five years or 10 years or, or 30 years. Um, and uh, the reason for that is because private equity done right um, really is a, an, an outstanding form of ownership. And I hope I'll have a chance to talk more about why. It, it marries that um, financial capital with intellectual capital in a way that drives outperformance and takes advantage to what in my humble view, has been a mispricing for liquidity uh, for at least the 32 years that I've been uh, practicing in private equity. Um, so if, if, if you and your investors have money that you don't need tomorrow, private equity um, has really proven to be a great home for, uh, for, for endowments, for uh, pension funds, insurance companies, family offices, and, and increasingly high net worth individuals. Yes, I... I agree with you. So you certainly have been uh, investing in private equity for a very long time, 30 years and counting. And during this period, we lived through um, a few turbulent periods. We lived through um, John Merriweather, 
LTCM, if you recall, 1998. I do. Uh, Dot-com bust, 2000, 2001, then the global financial crisis, 2008, and now it's COVID. It's the COVID-19 pandemic. So what, what do you do to stay relevant? Uh, how, private equity, uh, what, how private equity can evolve themselves to, to, to have longevity? What's, what's the secret sauce? Mm-hmm. Um, through, through the in, uh, entire period that you talked about, you're right, private equity not only continued, um, but in many ways it, it flourished. Uh, it's grown significantly as an asset class. And um, each of those times, there were uh, very smart people who predicted that now we're going to see the, the demise or at least the uh, downturn of private equity. But I think it's proven as an asset class to be very adaptable. And I think uh, the reason for that is, is another A word, uh, alignment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, over the 32 years that, um, that I've watched private equity firms uh, come and grow, uh, I've, I've noticed that um, those firms that are able to, uh, that, that have a long-term life uh, exhibit some attributes. Um, there's typically a strong culture at those firms. Uh, there's very smart risk taking. Uh, we are in the risk capital business. Uh, maybe that's not something I should, I should tell the world, but, but it's, it's the truth and, and the, it's important to take smart risks. Um, in, and by that, I mean investing in the right industries um, and investing with the right theses uh, and most importantly, getting disruption right, whether you're gonna be the disruptor or the disruptee. Um, having strong processes, uh, I think is critical. It's part of the special sauce. Um, obviously great people then become uh, the most important thing in terms of, uh, of um, implementing those processes. Um, the ability to, to um, improve and even transform the companies we invest in becomes a, a critical skill set for longevity. And that speaks to both the ability to on the investment decisions as well as in what you do with the businesses, how you own and operate them, being better investors and better owners, if you will. Um, I think the, the firms that, that have survived have proven to be good stewards for, for other people's money. Part of that is investing a lot of their own money. Again, that gets to the alignment question, but it also speaks to really caring about things like ESG, like diversity and inclusion, like being a good employer and and good for the community. And then finally, but very importantly, having a a brand and a reputation that stands for something uh, and then sticking with it. Uh, For Riverside, that means staying focused on the smaller end of the middle market and trying to be the leading private capital firm for these wonderful, fast-growing, smaller businesses. You touched a little bit on evolution of of the business. So from financial engineering to now operational focus, everybody is talking about revenue growth, EBITDA growth, um, uh, cost management. So what what do you think, what's next? First of all, I love the fact that you use the word evolution. Um, I'm a big believer in, in evolution. I hope, I hope we're evolving. Uh, and, and in fact, in, in, when you asked me the, the first question, I think I might've used the word adaptable, which is actually what, what Darwin said was the key to, to evolution. It, survival is actually is not for the, mo- for the fittest. The dinosaurs were, were pretty darn fit, but they weren't very adaptable. <laughs> 
Um, so I've, I've been amazed to see how uh, private equity has an industry has evolved. There wasn't even an industry 32 years ago when I started. And this evolution has been critical to being able to drive the strong performance of the companies we invest in, which is ultimately what leads to the, to the great returns. Um, so many pieces to that industry specialization. Today, the world is simply too complicated uh, for generalists. Uh, operating capabilities, I talked about being great owners, not just great investors. Um, Add-ons as a way to create value. Uh, today, uh, over two thirds of all the deals that are being done by private equity firms are add-ons to platforms we already own. Uh, it's uh, it's a, a critical way we create value. Um, we talked about, uh, or I mentioned briefly, aligning interests and then using that alignment to drive change and to transform companies. Our, our economies, the world's economies are, are evolving so quickly and um, the ability to transform is so important. Um, the ability to make companies bigger and better. Uh, you know, a lot of people think of private equity first in terms of driving down costs or using leverage to generate returns. And those are uh, relatively small parts of the equation. The real value creation in private equity comes from achieving growth. Yeah. Um, private equity is, is very small relative to public equity and we, we keep taking share. So I think we've got uh, a long way to grow. Um, but you asked about what, what might come next. Um, and for me, it's sales excellence. Uh, it's digital transformation. Uh, Taking a business, uh, we have a company uh, called Arrowhead Electronic Products, which uh, when we invested in it had uh, just over 5% of its sales were e-commerce. And today it's, it's well over 20% and that will probably be 40% by the time we're done. And this is a B2B company, not a B2C company. Uh, I mentioned the importance of specialization and deeper specializations. Um, we're, we're now doing uh, proprietary sourcing based on research identifying super theses and then finding companies that, that match those theses. Uh, instead of simply buying what's for sale, we're trying to decide uh, what, should, what should be for sale and what we can buy. Uh, and, and then um, trying to practice more diversity, uh, both within Riverside and within the companies we invest in. So I think, I think those are some things that come next. Just to pick up on what you said in terms of that private uh, industry, private equity industry is still relatively small vis-a-vis -vis public markets, mm -hmm. but it's growing and it's growing significantly. And let me just give you a few numbers because I, I looked up at the pitch book. So according to the pitch book, the capital overhang in March of this year accounted for 2.6 trillion. Capital raised by private funds uh, in the trailing 12 months through September of 2020 totaled 950 billion. So down only 7% uh, from the period of last year. So what do you think successful private equity managers should do in this environment uh, when there's so much capital chasing deals? Yeah, boy, it's, it, 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 you've done your research and, and you're right. It's, it's uh, perhaps the biggest um, challenge that we face. Um, I think uh, it comes down to uh, narrowing your aperture, deciding what you can buy, paying a, a full price in a competitive market and still find a way to, to double or triple the size of the business. Again, that's the importance of growth, 
uh, that will lead to a great outcome uh, for you and your investors. Uh, it's, it's becoming uh, more selective. It's honing your edge, uh, both as a better investor and a better buyer. Um, and and when, you, when you do that, um, there are, there are, in every market, there are opportunities. But I, I certainly agree with the premise of your question, which is that um, uh, what we do for a living is not getting easier. And it is requiring us to, to be more and more focused uh, to get better and better ourselves. And um, uh, that's, you know, that's really what the market economy uh, wants. It wants all of us, it wants every business, every industry uh, to be forced to, to get um, better and better. And that applies equally to the companies we invest in, uh, as well as to private equity firms like Riverside ourselves. We, we have to take our own medicine often. Well, switching gears a little bit and talking about ESG and specifically the S in the ESG. Mm -hmm. um, so private equity historically been a, a male dominated world. Uh, so what needs to be done to improve the situation? And specifically, what, what advice would you give to young women starting in private equity or thinking about their career in private equity? Well, step one is we need to hire more women. <laughs> um, and and that's, that's in every role, but especially as leaders, because I think it's well understood that when the leadership of a firm is more diverse, it's likely that the rest of the firm will become more diverse because diverse leaders will hire diverse candidates, diverse candidates will be attracted to firms with diverse leaders and diverse employees at those firms will progress faster and, and retention will be higher. And each of those steps I talked about have been challenges uh, in many industries, including private equity. I'll focus uh, on our need to be more inclusive of women, but I would just note it, it, it applies equally uh, to people of color. Um, I'll give you just a, a simple example at Riverside that has worked splendidly. One of our uh, fund families, the microcap fund, noticed over a several year period, it was having trouble attracting the best and the brightest women who had graduated uh, from excellent schools, who had a lot of the right credentials. They had spent uh, a couple of years in investment banking. They wanted to transition to the to the buy side, if you will, to be principals. Uh, and, and now they, they were getting offers from many firms and particularly in places like Cleveland, we were struggling to compete. So, um, so uh, the leader of this uh, fund family, First Lawrence Lachey, uh, the fund manager did something I think very uh, bold. Uh, he said, we're gonna start to hire these uh, brilliant young women right out of college uh, and we'll train them. And that, this is uh, four or five years ago now uh, that class, if you will, and each successive class is progressing beautifully through the firm. And um, someday they, um, they may have my job and, and if they do, they'll, they'll do a better job than me. Um, I would also just mention, uh, we go out of our way to be family friendly. And by the way, being family friendly, I think works uh, equally well for uh, people of every gender. Um, but I think it's a great thing. You also asked me about what advice I would give to, to women who are considering a career in private equity, and I'll, I'll simply say go for it. Um, it's a great industry. It's changing rapidly. It's, it is very competitive, and, and I'm being uh, straightforward about it, but there is still lots of opportunity for somebody to spend decades um, and having a, have a great experience 
Um, be careful though, pick, pick the right job, the right firm with the right values uh, and the right culture. Uh, if, if you're wondering, make sure you talk to some folks at that firm, maybe some of, some of your sisters at that firm will be able to tell you. That's actually very good advice. Uh, I wish I had it when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> well, you, you progressed beautifully. Uh, oh, through... I, you know, <laughs> I, did, I did a few years in engineering, so that's okay. <laughs> um, so speaking of completely different topic, um, what are you reading now? What's, what's on your nightstand? <laughs> My short answer is, is not enough. Um, if you're talking about uh, things other than the, the books we get in on deals, <laughs> uh, we, we're, we're um, uh, investing in over 50 companies a year, a combination of platforms and add-ons. So you, and, and to get there, we have to uh, literally consider thousands of opportunities. So you can imagine uh, how much reading I'm doing about how many different companies and how many different industries, uh, which I love if you're, if you're uh, intellectually curious, if you're a corporate voyeur who likes to peer in the windows of companies and find out what makes them tick. It's a great job. But I, I do think reading uh, real books, <laughs> books other than that, are, is very important for the well-rounded individual. I, I'm a believer in liberal arts education, going back to my days at Oberlin College. Uh, I recently read The American Story by David Rubenstein, who's the founder of Carlisle, mm -hmm. a, a, a remarkable uh, human being, American private equity leader. Uh, and um, he, he uh, commissioned, if you will, the best historians of our time to write about the most important people in American history. Uh, David obviously played a role in bringing it together, editing it, providing uh, wonderful observations in the introductions. Uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a can't put it down uh, read. Uh, and uh, I've got uh, sitting uh, right next to me, uh, Saving Freedom by Joe Scarborough, which mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, I don't know if you can actually see it there, which is um, his book about Harry Truman. Uh, Harry Truman was my father's favorite president. I'm gonna find out why. Um, I, I uh, and, and I think uh, Harry Truman maybe was uh, presided over America at a time that has some parallels to the one we're living in now. I love history. I, I much prefer nonfiction to, to fiction. It's, it's always more interesting and, and, uh, and you can't make it up. Uh, and I especially love reading about reading about great leaders and, um, and patriots. We need more of them. Well, that's the value of very good education and liberal education that you have received. So mm -hmm. it's, it's absolutely true. Uh, Stuart, it was an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you again for joining. And to everybody else, thank you for listening and hope you can join us again. Thank you, Svetlana. We appreciate you listening to ClearSeds Investment Forum. If you enjoyed the discussion, please subscribe so you don't miss our future episodes. To learn more about our firm, you can visit our website at clearstead.com or email us at info at clearstead.com. Thank you.